Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Whew, yeah. That's how we walk in fellowship with one another, and how we walk in fellowship with Him is, is transparency and honesty. It's why Jesus says that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It's funny that the light precedes the blood, because unless I extend something out and put it in the light, how can anything redemptive be applied to it? So there's this lie that Satan wants us to believe is that we can't be honest within a group of people that love us within our family, and so it keeps us in hidden sin and secret sin, and we never experience the true deliverance and freedom that we need because we're scared of what other people will think about us. But all it ends up doing is hindering our walk with him and keeps us from entering into the fullness of the fellowship of Jesus and what he would have for us. And so if anywhere is a safe place, I think here's a safe place uh, to lay it down and just, uh, you know, here's the deal. I don't care. (laughs) I just want him, you know, and uh, and that's the place you got to get get to is that you just want him. And that anything that's keeping you from him has got to go. And if he's not your everything, uh, he's your nothing. And that's a hard thing to say, but that's just the reality of it. And and we are growing in faith, and we're growing uh, from glory to glory and from revelation to revelation. But at each point of revelation, what I've found is is that I, I have to surrender what I think is my all at that moment. And if I surrender that, he gives me more. But then I found out there's a lot more I haven't given him, right? So each step and each surrendering just unlocks a door of other stuff I've got to surrender. Um, But God is so kind and so gracious is that he he just shines light. Think if he showed you how bad you were all at once. You would shrivel up. Your tail would go between your legs. Like my old dog does when I get on to her, he just say, you know what you did. And you'd crawl out of here, you'd be crawling, you'd be dragging so low, your front pocket would be full of gravel by the time you got out of here. But God is so kind, he illuminates what you have, what you're able to deal with by his Holy Spirit a little bit at a time. He illuminates that. And you give him... Through the process, you, you ever wrestled with God about giving him stuff? But you give him that little bit, and it seems so big. Then once you gave it to him, isn't your question, isn't your statement always, why didn't I do that a long time ago? I feel so free and good right now. <laughs> and then you get to that next step, and it's like, ooh, it's so big. And you give it to God, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that was so little. And he had so much better for me. So we're learning what it is to trust the Lord and to walk with him. Um, but you got to get things in the light. You just got to. You just got to. There's no other way to freedom, um, and yeah. So we're going to be looking at Galatians in the second chapter. We covered really in story form. Covered chapter one in the first half of chapter two. Um, so we're going to be looking at the second half of chapter two, and we're going to dive a little bit into chapter three, uh, because really all Paul does is in the first 
one and a half chapters there is really recount the story of his journey that he had with the Galatian church. And so here is really the, what, we would be, what we would call the thesis statement of the letter. This is what the letter is aimed at. This is what the meaning of this letter is about. And this is going to frame the rest of the book and Paul's argument uh, of what the book is about. Um, but I want to start off with a question. What would you show someone to prove that you're saved? And don't answer that, guys, okay? It's rhetorical. I'm scared what I'm going to hear. Don't frighten me. I'm thinking I'm doing a good job up here, okay? What would you show someone to prove that you're saved? In other words, think of them in your mind. What would you reach for? And put out front and say, this is why I know I'm saved. Because we all have something that we reach for. To say, here's why I'm saved. Here's why I'm saved. And some of us would like to grab our good track record. This is why I'm saved. Other people do something different. They grab their terrible track record and say, but for the grace of God... Yeah, that's not a great testimony either. They're both pride. One's pride in sin and evil. The other's pride in something that is terribly wrong to say that I can set something before God that he would say. That, that's so good and so sweet. We're all grabbing something. In conversations I've had with people, hey, man, what, what's your relationship with the girl? Oh, man, my uncle was a deacon down there at so-and-so, at, uh, down there at that church. Yeah, yeah, your uncle's a deacon. How does that translate into... But we all grab something and try to set it before someone as a convincing argument of we're in the faith or we're not in the faith. So, so what do we grab? Some people grab church membership. Some people grab denominational ties. Some people grab baptism. The problem with grabbing something and setting it before people is the fact that you're grabbing something other than Jesus and setting it before people. That the message that Paul is trying to get this church in Galatia to understand is this. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And how you answer that equation determines everything about your walk with Christ. If you have Jesus plus something, that something will have the seeds in it to end up coming to your downfall. Because if you're saying it's Jesus and this, that this, whenever you drop the ball or fail in this, guess what will happen? You'll lose faith. Because your faith wasn't in Jesus, it was actually in this. So what Paul wants to get us to the place to is don't add anything to Jesus. He is enough in and of himself. He is the centerpiece of history. He is the lamb that was slain. He is the only one that takes away the sins of the world. And you don't have to add nothing to it. That you put your faith in him. In his life. In his death. His resurrection. So Paul is appealing here to this 
church to that started out so right, that started out fully in love with Jesus, but then allowed some other thing to come in to convince them that they had to add something else to Jesus. Because if I got to add something else to Jesus, here's what that real statement is. Jesus isn't enough. And it's hard for me to believe Jesus, God became a man and hung and died on a cross uh, just to help us kind of figure it out. (laughs) He did that because we're really terrible at trying to figure it out. And we come to very wrong conclusions. That it's all about Jesus. You might even grab for good things. You can grab for good things and add them to Jesus. You might grab the ministry. You might even grab ministry results. Matthew 7, people stand before God. Did we not cast out devils? Did we not prophesy in your name? Jesus says, whoa, whoa, time out. Depart from me. I never knew you. The omniscient God who knows everything in the universe doesn't know some things. What are we appealing to? What are we reaching for to say we are in the faith? That's what he's really getting to the heart of. And I used to read that verse and I would get afraid because I think, man, I'm not even casting out devils. And I, you know, like, and these people didn't make it and it used to scare me. But then I, I got a different perspective. Think, picture yourself, put yourself at the throne room of God standing before him to give an account. Are you going to brag about what you did in that day? In other words, these people had the audacity to brag to Jesus about what they did and why they should get in. Is this okay? I know I'm coming out, but but Apostle Paul's gotten in me here, and we're just going to shoot down every devil in the place, okay? Every bit of pride's got to go. I don't care if it looks religious or not. It's all about him. Depart from me, I I didn't know you. And here's the crazy thing about that. It's really at the end of the day, you know what God wants? He wants relationship. And the heart of a good relationship, you know what it is? Honesty and not using each other. So what these people are saying is, Jesus, we used your name, but we didn't want to know you. And Jesus is saying, I really wish you to, I just got a chance to know you, and you wouldn't have just used me. And we find it an affront to God when he won't let us use him the way we want him to use And so while you're walking around trying to live your good life, and then God not give you something you want. Well, come on, God, I put you in my debt. You're indebted to me. (laughs) 
See, when you don't walk in the light of Jesus of everything, you'll be mad when you don't get what you want. And you'll think, God, I had you in my debt. You owed me. So now you're talking to the God of the universe like a child as if he owes you something. So our relationship quits being about a privilege and it becomes a transaction. It becomes transactional. So we start paying for love. Will you love me? Oh, you will? Oh, great. Hey, give me that back. I got that for preaching a funeral. I want that back. Yeah, I did take it back. You can't pay for love, Zach. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know what it's called when you pay for love? Prostitution. It is. What's the story of the Bible? Because we fast forward to Revelation, what is the picture of, of man's kingdom? It's a harlot riding a dragon with multiple heads. That's man's best attempt at relationship. That one would perform and posture themselves to be loved, and the other one would pay to get that love. But then Jesus' paradigm is what? Husband and a wife. Two people in covenant with one another where everything that one owns, the other one owns, and everything this one owns, that one owns. And that's the context of intimacy. Into you, I see. And into me, you see. And I don't have to perform for you to see into me. And when you see into me and I open myself up, you come in with healing hands and touch every spot. That he doesn't shame, he covers shame. And that's the heart of what Paul is trying to get to here. Is that Quit trying to use God to get something. And rather, just get to know him and fall in love with him. Because the more you know him, the more you're going to find out how trustworthy and good he actually is. And how much you can lay your junk on the table. And it ain't going to change his mind about you. If Jesus could give us a list to accomplish in order for us to be saved, we'd be the most prideful and arrogant people in all the world. Give me some rules and leave me alone. I got this. <laughs> and Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. I've made it an impossibility for you to accomplish this so that you'll bring me along in relationship so that we can do it together. So this is the, the whole idea here. And so this is what slips into the church. And really what slips into the church in Galatians was a religious spirit. It was something that appeared good and was even in scripture. 
But the problem with the paradigm of good and bad, you know what that problem is? It's the same paradigm the serpent taught Adam and Eve to walk by. Here's a tree of good and evil. Walk by that. But I want to submit to you, there's another tree in the garden that was a tree of life. That something good could actually lead to death. But life always leads to relationship and life. So it was like Adam was and Eve were in this place saying, um, I'd rather have the knowledge of good and bad than I had just walking the life. And so what Paul's trying to point them back to is get out of the good and bad paradigm and go back to the spirit of life. And what it is to walk in relationship with God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, the same are called the sons and daughters of God. That the Spirit of God is always leading us to relationship or sonship or daughtership. Romans 8. The Spirit of adoption is working in us to get us to say what? Abba Father! <laughs> Oh, finally got that out. And it's hard because I remember when I first got saved and, I, and you sinned, I was like, oh, great. I messed up this Christian thing. I can't even do that. Well, I'll give that a shot. <laughs> Man, I'm not good at this. Again, good and bad paradigm. Not relational. And so I had to just keep trusting what God kept telling me. He forgave me and he loved me and he's my father. <laughs> okay, I guess I'll take another step. Oh, I messed up again. I forgive you. I love you. I'm your father. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't hurt me. <laughs> forgive you, I love you, I'm your father. Now I've got some history behind me and now I'm actually starting to believe that. And it's not that I grip my knuckles, white knuckle tight and just obey all these rules and I'm so... It's that I just finally started believing what God had already said about me a long time ago. And it's, it started to lift some of those things. And then I was like, whoa, okay. So we're walking by the Spirit now. This is why Paul said, oh, wretched man, and this death thing in Romans 7 that I'm carrying around and I can't get this monkey off my back. What am I going to do? He says in Romans 8, there's therefore now <laughs> no condemnation for those who walk not according to the flesh, to those who walk according to the spirit. And we read that as flesh bad, spirit good. That's okay. But how many of you know the flesh is capable of doing good things and getting prideful about it? <laughs> that you can do something religious in the flesh 
And it's just as damaging as getting into something terrible in the flesh. Because anything done in the flesh is not out of the reality of who you actually are. So it's both a masquerade. Good in the flesh, what well, passes the human eye test, but God looks on the So I can actually work on changing my behavior. But it ain't going to be long. That heart's going to lie on you. <laughs> you doing good? Oh, yeah, I'm doing real good. I'm biting everybody's heads off and everything else. Why? Because I created a category in my mind that affirmed that I was doing good. Instead of trusting the Lord and just saying, God, I'm going to walk in a relationship with you. And I'm not going to trust my idea of what's good and what's bad. I'm going to put categories of death and life. And if I feel your life in it, I'm going on in it. If I don't feel peace in life, I'm out of here. I don't care how good it looks. I'm following the Spirit of God. Not every good opportunity is a God opportunity. Because we'll create categories like this. Is it more money? Oh, it must be God. Then you're out of church, out of fellowship, and backslid and think, I should have kept flipping burgers over there. And I had the joy of the Lord, and the Lord was all over me, and I was walking in the life of God. See, that's what counts. That's what goes on into eternity. Puts jewels on those crowns. Uh, anyway, I guess I better go on or we'll never be finished. Um, not that I care, but. <laughs> I'm just getting in the Bible here. So the whole idea of being born again, I think this is unique. John chapter 3 versus John chapter 4. And we will get to Galatians. Just we'll get there. John chapter 3. A religious man named Nicodemus comes and finds Jesus in the night. And he's probably got all his stuff on, you know. He's got his clerical robe and his whatever. You know that deal, that <laughs> prayer shawl. I don't know what that is. Anymore. He's got his borders, his phylacteries. He shows up to Jesus. How does a man enter the kingdom of God? Jesus looks at him. He's got to be born again. <gasps> Become a child? I've worked hard to put all this on. And it's given me a position. Nope, got to start over. Be a baby. But I'm somebody. I've got a name. I'm known. Nope. Start over again. Get born again. Come a fetus. How dare he? Does he know how religious I am? Look at my clothes. Look at my knowledge. He says, nope, you've got to start over. 
You've got to be willing to lay down everything you built up because everything you built up is not what I've put on you as your identity. So you've got your identity in your position, but you don't have your identity in who I've created you to be, and that is my son. And then in John 4, a woman so ashamed, a woman of the night, so ashamed, goes to the well in noon. Nobody goes to the well at noon. It's too hot. You're in the desert. So here comes woman of the night, comes down and sits with Jesus. And Jesus says, you need a drink. Now, if anybody need to be born again, wouldn't we have told the woman to be born again and the religious guy just to get a drink? But he tells the religious guy, no, you've got to get born again. And he tells that woman, oh, you just need to drink. Just drink. Just, just suck it down. Just drink. Because <laughs> one had a reputation he was trying to prop up. The other one had no reputation and thought they weren't even worthy to come. See, we tell everybody they need to be born again, but Jesus didn't tell everybody they need to be born again. He said that one time in John to the religious man. Everybody else says, you need to just come and rest and, and drink. Oh, I just ruffled some religious feathers right there. I know I did. <laughs> Take it up with Jesus. It's only there. It's only there. John uses that language in his epistles. Says whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Because whatever is born of God overcomes the world. How do we overcome the world? Our faith. So one who we think, no way, they're going to clean up a long time. There's no way they're going to make it. This guy just needs to be just, we just need to dust some edges off. Jesus takes the complete opposite approach. You, born again. You, you just need to taste and see that I'm good. Take it up with the king. <laughs> and the same one that was coming out when nobody else would come and it was hiding, after she has an encounter with Jesus, Jesus reveals the truth about her, right? Remember? She says, she says, uh, won't you uh, go tell your husband? Oh, sir. <laughs> the guy I'm living with isn't my husband. Oh, well, yeah, I know. Actually, you're on your, like, fifth relationship and the other four didn't I get it and then she goes oh, I've got to tell everybody <laughs> it's like the thing she's ashamed about when Jesus touches it becomes the thing that becomes the evidence that empowers her to go tell everybody about this King Jesus see because when Jesus touches something shameful you're empowered to say let me tell you about this Jesus guy. You're only as sick as your secrets. So Jesus touches the most shameful place and she becomes the greatest evangelist. And the religious guy sneaking around at night. So you've got to start reading this as a story. 
because it's not boring. <laughs> it's like they edited it in a way that it's compelling and beautiful and rich. John's telling us a story. Who we think's out is actually in, and who we think's in is actually out. So he's saying, don't judge by good and bad. Judge by death and life. Change the paradigm that what you see things. Because Satan wants to keep continuing to pull you into the paradigm of good and evil. Oh, you're smart enough. You know what's good and evil. Just go by that. And you feel that inner witness say, I don't need to do this. Well, it's not bad. Okay, I'll do it. Death. Because you were using the paradigm of good and evil. So when you're walking in life and death, you're like, is there life in this? I don't feel any resistance. Oh, yeah. Not going. It looked good. I didn't feel the life. And so Paul's trying to keep the Galatians to keep their bearing of life in the Spirit and not their own paradigms that every fallen person has and I'll just divide everything up in good and evil. Because when I do that, guess what? I say Jesus plus something. And then I start comparing myself to people around me and think, I'm not as bad as them. Why are you getting in? Well, I ain't bad as that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the problem with that lens. Are you ready? We might never get to Galatians. I don't even know. (laughs) Week three, we'll maybe do this again. I don't know. Here's why you can't trust that lens. Because Jesus says, when you see a speck in your brother's eye, Why? Because you're looking through a log perspective. So the reason you can see it so easy in your neighbor is because it's so prevalent in you. So here's how you turn that around. When you see something in your neighbor, me and Kevin talked about this, you say, time out. The reason I can spot that is because it's here. God, not thank you for not letting me be like them. God, forgive me. And help me to see this more clearly. Because I can't fall victim to that. So Jesus says you can't trust the good and bad paradigm. Because you got logs sticking out of your eyes. That's why Jesus says we don't walk by sight. We walk by. Open the. Why? Because these are broke, man. These will see everything bad about everybody else and won't see anything about you. Yeah. So Jesus teaches to see. Isn't it funny that when Adam and Eve sinned, what was opened? You guys are impressing me. Their eyes were opened. So maybe they were walking around by the Spirit and didn't even have to open them. 
They were in constant prayer and communication with the king. You can't make false judgments when your eyes are closed. Maybe God's greatest gift would be that he would grant us blindness. Yeah. Then we could see. Where are we at here? I'm sorry, guys. This is just. So we have to get into a different paradigm of how we see things. Because we like to look at it, even our language when it comes to Jesus and his death on the cross, we say things like this He purchased my sin. Uh, No, he didn't buy your sin. He don't want that. He purchased you. But when we are on this sin, uh, did I sin? Did I not sin? Did I do that? Then we're in this transactional deal, and our whole relationship with God becomes just us asking forgiveness all the time. And the reason why we keep asking forgiveness is because we really don't believe He forgave us. So we got this purchase of sin transaction thing going on. And we forget, he didn't buy my sin, he bought me. He cleansed me of sin, but it's me that he wants. It's me that he has. Because if it's sin, then it's always something outside of me that Jesus is taking away. If it's me, then it's always me coming into a deeper relationship with him. Does that make sense? So he paid for more than your debt. He paid for you. And when it becomes transactional, you'll hear things like this. Uh, I've been reading this fine print here and can I still do this and get to heaven? <laughs> That's what we're talking about. What you can get away with to barely inch you into heaven. I'm going to say, I don't know that you're saved. Because you're trying to get to a place and I'm trying to get to a person. You're trying to dodge punishment, and I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. So you don't really want him. You just don't want the punishment. And some of you are dragging people around that don't want Jesus. They just don't want the punishment. Is this okay? I just don't want to get in trouble. No, maybe you ought to get in trouble so that you could then put your gaze on Jesus and quit squeaking by by the skin of your teeth and deal with some things. Yeah. Sometimes we got to. So we've got to get out of transactional and get into relational. Not Jesus, come take my problems. No, Jesus, come take my life. No more Jesus come into my heart. But Jesus, can I come into your heart? 
Those are two different prayers. Amen. Jesus, let me come into your heart. Let me come into your life, Jesus. Because <laughs> that's where the fun is, is in the heart of the Father. <laughs> Ooh, that's when you start getting somewhere. Yeah. So this is Paul's argument to the Corinthians. And here we are in 1 Corinthians. Oh, my goodness. We're going to get to Galatians, I promise. (sighs) Corinthians 6, verse 12, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not everything's beneficial. Hmm. So not good and bad, life or death. Because some things can be good, but no life in them. But I won't be controlled by anything. Food is for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will do away with both. (laughs) The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, God indeed raised the Lord and he will raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Exclamation point. Never! Or do you not know that anyone who is united with a prostitute is one body with her? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But the one unified with the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every person, every sin a person commits is outside of his own body. But the immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So Paul gets us down to the root. He's not getting us just surfacing on the sin issues. He said, I need to know how great you really are. I need you to come into agreement with your destiny, which is this. You're the place I'm choosing to dwell on the earth. And your life counts. And when you're the place where God dwells, everywhere you go, guess what? Temple's there. See, we're trying to take everybody to the temple, but (laughs) you are the temple. So in Isaiah 6, when we're just going to have to, I'm just going to have to do do the Galatians part another time. We're just not going to make it. Trust me. He says bewitched. I didn't make that up. We're going to get there. I promise. Ah. What was I even talking about? When Isaiah is in the throne room and he sees, thank you. He's a teacher, I can tell. He's a, and you're listening. I appreciate that. It really builds my confidence. When Isaiah 6, when Isaiah is translated into the throne room of God and he sees these glorious creatures 
these glorious seraphs, plural seraphim, and they have eyes all over their body, and they have six wings. With two wings, they cover their eyes. What are they trying to tell us? You can't see God like that. (laughs) Eyes on their body, why? Because it's an intuitive faith nature that apprehends and sees God. With two, they fly. I don't know what that means. They're just flying around. And with two, they hide their feet. What are they hiding? Their creatureliness. The fact they were created. And you know what these guys sing over and over? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. How is God going to fill the world with his glory? Nick, bump, bump him, bump him for me. I got to get him to get this. I got to get you to get this. How is the whole earth going to get filled with the glory of God? Is he just going to come down with a magic ray and it just, oh, the glory's everywhere? See, it's always something outside of us. But the Bible says God puts his glory in earthen vessels. I wonder what that is. So how is God going to fill the earth with glory? You put, put a mirror up. It's you. It's you. That God would spread the gospel throughout the earth, not just so that a message could go out and we could have this transaction of sin, but that people would actually be filled with the spirit and glory of God and be led. And everywhere they went, the light of the temple would go. So when God wanted to fill the world with glory, you know what he did? He created you. And the sooner you know it and believe it, you'll start walking like it. Say, well, I don't think that highly of myself. Well, that's the problem. That's why you're settling for down here. No, you are God's answer to the world's problems. Ephesians 2, 8, you're saved by grace through faith, not of yourself, lest any man should boast. You know what the next verse says? That you're his workmanship created for good works that God created beforehand. That God creates the good works and says, now how in the world am I going to get these things accomplished? I got an idea. I'm going to start creating. Trish. I'm going to create Chris. Because I got some good works over here. That you are not the problem. You're the solution. You're the solution. And the problem is you've so identified with the problem that you keep telling yourself you're the problem. And guess what? Self-fulfilled prophecy. You are the problem. (laughs) 
you are the vehicle for God's glory. And God isn't saying, man, I wish I hadn't done that. (laughs) He's actually like a father looking down saying, I wish my kids would realize how much I love them. Oh, I wish they would grasp it. I wish they would believe it in the scripture when I say I love them and they read that. I wish they would, when I nudge them and whisper them, I wish they wouldn't say, was that me or is that God? I wish they'd act on it so we could fill the earth with my glory together. (laughs) It's like that song says, it's too good not to believe. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right, I'll quit. Lord, we thank you, God. You're so merciful. You're so wonderful. God, would you just teach us what it is to know you in a deeper way? God, affirm my friends. There's some in here that are beating themselves up for past things that you're not even holding against them. I love what Corey Ten Boom said when she said that When we ask for forgiveness, God throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness and then puts a sign up that says no fishing. (laughs) God, let us quit fishing for things you've forgiven us for. God, there's some in here that are just being prideful in the way that they're getting away with it now and they think that means that you're okay with it. And they're trying to convince themselves that this is good and that you don't care. But in their heart, they know. They know the answer. That while it might not be bad, it's just not God. There's no life in it. So God, give my friends the courage. To step outside of the human, which is good and bad, and step into the God-filled life that is death and life. God, teach us to be moved by your Spirit. Because when we're moved by the Spirit, we're always in the right place at the right time. Even when it looks like the wrong place. God, fill my friends today, God. Fill them, God. Teach them, God. God, you've not forsaken them. They've run from you. (laughs) But then it said that you're not near from them when they're the ones that created the distance. Well, God, how do I find you? Go back to the place you left them off. Go back to the place you told him no and then say yes. Go back to the place when you started hiding and you quit being honest. He'll meet you there and love you. Take you right back into the house. (laughs) 
Restore everything you lost. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.